The Infertility Podcast is a place of inspiration for every season in life, a resource where listeners can be encouraged to push past obstacles and be motivated by individual stories. The premise of infertility is understanding the season you are in and realizing that there are strategies that can be implemented to enjoy a fertile season. Now on with the show. Welcome to the Infertility Podcast. As you are aware, October is Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month. This week, we are privileged to have a couple on for this episode, Coles and Rose. Welcome, Coles and Rose. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yes. So before we get started, um, Coles and Rose, if you can just give a brief introduction of who you are, what you do, any personal or professional highlights that you would like to share before we get into the interview questions. Yeah, I'll go first. Yeah, that makes sense. My name is Rose Carlene Mercier. Yes, thank you (laughs) <laughs> I was born in Haiti, but I migrated to the United States when I was about five or six years old. Um, I am definitely a Florida girl, but uh, moved to Maryland about seven years ago. I'm a SHRM certified professional. I work for a staffing company at the corporate headquarters. I also sit on a board of an organization here in Baltimore county that uh, specializes in conflict resolution and mitigation services so that's just a little bit about me awesome yeah that's what's up that's what's up um coles mercier um also born in south florida broward general um moved to maryland back in 2009 to pursue um, a couple of master's degrees um found myself working for the federal government um been with them for about 10 years um, I think right about now, I like to say that I'm a federal civilian. Um, I'm a real estate agent, right? I'm a real estate investor mm-hmm. and an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And most importantly, I'm the husband for this beautiful lady here. Mm-hmm. And I'm a father to Aster Marceline Mercier. So I take pride in all my accomplishments. And all Definitely. your titles. And all my titles. Thank you. <laughs> for you. And- I some of them. <laughs> and I need to make mention that Woody's also on this episode. I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Woody and Coles go way back. Way back. How, how way back? Uh, so far back, we can't remember how back. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I can't remember a time where you was not there, Woody. I mean, Jesus. Yeah. Uh, we're talking, what, four or five years old? Way back. Yeah. Yeah. Way back. I mean... It's almost like when kids begin to remember, you know, that's how far back I remember Woody. So, yeah. So, so there's a a group of um, young men, they call themselves home team and they all grew up together their friendship uh, between each other. I I should extend it further to say their brotherhood um, is just amazing. It's phenomenal. The uh, support system that they have within their group. Um, and it's just been amazing to watch it transcend time and transcend seasons. Um, you're talking about four or five year olds. So you're talking about elementary school, middle school, high school, college. They went to college together. Um, and that's how we all met. College roommates and everything. Yes. 
And so now they're all married or what? There's just, I think, one or two that are not married yet. There's a, there's a, there's a few. It's, it's like two. <laughs> two, two out there. They're old and all tight. Yeah. But, but the majority are, are all married and um, uh, most have children now. So um, it's just been amazing to watch uh, this brotherhood kind of evolve um, as I've known um, the group since college. And um, I've known Cole since college as well. We, we took a college class together. So, um, allow me to cheat. But yeah, <laughs> Cole was trying to cheat off of my test and my homework. And, and I, thought we had, I thought we had the Haitian bond, but clearly <laughs> it, it, has, it has its limitations. But we'll you say that. the wrong person to try to cheat off of. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I knew that. I found that out. I found out later, but it's okay. Oh, mess. So, yeah, we, we grew to love her. She's family. Yeah. <laughs> they love me from the beginning, but we're not going to go into all of that. <laughs> so, okay. Um, we're here to talk about Coles and Rose's uh, story. And before we get into their story, I wanted to first pose this question. Um, and I've asked it in several podcast episodes just to get a different vantage point from each um, person that comes on. So why do you feel that infertility is such a taboo subject? I'll take this one first. Um, okay. I think the reason why infertility is a taboo subject is several reasons. There are several reasons why. Um, I think the first reason is because the, of the pain that the couple goes through during whatever journey that they are on. Mm-hmm. Um, another reason why I think it's taboo is because people are so afraid to talk about it with that individual because they feel like they're going to um, trigger them. They're going to bring up um, past wounds and hurts and things like that. So, um, and I think another reason why it's um, taboo is because you feel a sense of um, not being able to accomplish something that a lot of other women are able to accomplish. Mm-hmm. So you have that shame, that feeling of not being enough, um, all those kind of um, negative feelings make it very taboo to talk about, for people to bring it up, for people to even mention it to you. Yeah, definitely. Coles, do you yeah. want to weigh in on this one? Yeah, I think, um, you know, one reason why it's a taboo subject for many folks is because really, you know, how do you help somebody who's going through this, right? Especially when you didn't go through it yourself, right? I think, I think when, when, whenever someone is, you know, faced or when they're in a situation where they are going through a loss or they are, you know, going through infertility, right? Um, for the loved ones, they want to help, right? Yeah. They want to, you know, you know, try their best to comfort, right? <laughs> how do you do that? You know, what are you supposed to do? You know, especially when, you know, you've never experienced that, right? A lot of things, you know, you know, a lot of things that people experience, you could say, hey, look, do this, boom, there it is. That should fix it, right? But when it comes to infertility, depending on, you know, what you're experiencing, you really, you know, there's no, hey, you know, do, there, there's no recipe for it, right? There's right. no, do this, do this, and then boom, you'll have a child, right? So it's a tough subject because not a lot of people know how to how to respond to somebody who is going through who's within that season and they really don't know know what to do when it comes to facing someone who is going through infertility so 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 what you do is you know you don't bring it up or you don't address it you know right like a lot of things you just kind of say we know what's going on but let's let's not really talk about it you go 
you you go through it and I don't want to say in the dark, but you do it on your own and then I'll be over here not not bringing it up. Right. Um, that's 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 really good. That's really good. Um, so there's a question that Danielle typically asks. So I'm gonna steal it before she actually says it this mm-hmm. time. Um, what's your what's your infertility? What's your story? What's your fertility story? What is your journey like? Um, I know, uh, Coles, we've known each other forever, but I don't think we ever sat down and had a conversation like, oh, by 26, I want to be married and we're going to have this amount of, we never had that. But I oftentimes hear that women plan those things out. Not all, but many plan those dates out. And they're like, I'm going to be done having kids by 31. And you're like, like, it is like, who told you that? But what's your story? Did you have a plan? What's the plan that you had? And a little bit, um, you could touch a little bit about how, how things differ. You want me to go first? Yeah, you can go first. Well, I can honestly say I didn't have a plan. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's a guy thing, you know, I, I, I really wasn't thinking about marriage. I really wasn't thinking about having children. I, you know, honestly, I really didn't think about marriage until I think I saw you, not for the first time, like, you know, maybe like the second or third time, you know, you know, and then when we really started kind of dating and I was like, okay, you know, what? maybe marriage, maybe marriage could be a thing that I do with her. Right. And then as we got a little bit more serious and I was like, uh, you know, maybe, maybe the children thing, it could, it could work with her. She seems like she'll be a good mother, you know, and you know, I feel like having good uh, motherly uh, qualities is a good thing to have, you know, so, so that would be, so that would pretty much say, you know, you know, growing up, I didn't have kind of like that plan, right? I didn't say, you know, by 26, 27, I want to be married or by 30, I want to have a kid. You know, I think the only thing, if I, if, I, if I really ever did have a plan that was long-term, I wanted to have a house by 33. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that was probably the only thing I wanted to have. And that's only because I knew a guy growing up, you know, he had a house, a real nice house at 33. And I said, look, you know, if he can do it, I think that I can go ahead and do it. But, <laughs> you know, but when it came to like planning out the family and that and kind of, you know, you know, kind of having that type of outlook, you know, it was pretty much a blank slate and, you know, whatever kind of came my way, you know, I, you know, I would definitely consult with God with it, but, you know, I would just kind of test it out and see if this is the direction that I really need to go. Well, I was on the other side of the spectrum, (laughs) gradually thinking about it. I already had a plan. (laughs) That planning, (laughs) that plan included, um, being married by my early thirties, um, having children after a year or two of marriage, um, having three or four children, spacing them out two years apart so that it would be that perfect amount of time in between them. So not everybody's in diapers at the same time. Yes. There was definitely a plan there, guys. Yes, sis. But <laughs> as we say, the best laid plan. Yeah. There was a mold. There was a mold that needed to be... Um, somebody needed to fall into and I found the perfect uh, person to fall into that mold. Now, fertility didn't really want me to continue with the, with the life plan that I had had, but there was definitely a plan. Awesome. So I fell in the mold. It fell in the mold. Con- congratulations for fitting the mold, Colt. <laughs> That's going to make Happy you really angry. Happy you met the requirements. <laughs> Happy you right, met the requirements. 
Right. I didn't even know about this, right? Yes. <laughs> did did yes. I have a say in it? <laughs> no. That's hilarious. And so, you, you know, you have this plan, you know, and, you know, life happens. Um, so I, I, I need to rephrase that. Rose had a plan um, and life yeah, happened. Rose had a plan. Rose had a plan. I, I was um, winking. <laughs> I was winking. It. Um, and life happens. So tell me about, you know, and I want you to kind of go into your love story. So when did you kind of get married and did the plan that you set out, did that plan come into fruition? I'm going to say it started to come into fruition, right? Um, we met in high school, I believe, at church. Mm-hmm. Woody, Woody, I'm going to ask Woody since he's on the, Woody, do you remember Rose going to the same church as us? Because she says we was in the same choir and I don't remember her. And we sang in the same section, Woody. Do you remember her? Honest answer? Yes. Yes, of those, course. There were those quiet girls who sat on the other side who really didn't talk to anybody else. And you guys were probably the clowns in the church. Jeez. Exactly, because you were such big personalities. Nobody else had a chance to be a personality. Oh, wow. <laughs> Listen, listen, listen. Okay. We were just enthusiastic for the Lord. That's all that was. Okay. There you go. Um, so okay. when she says we met in high when she said we met in high school, indirectly met. That's fair. Okay. We knew each other since high school. Uh, we both went to separate universities. Um, we didn't start dating until Coles returned to South Florida after college. With a degree, let that be known. With a degree that I was quite impressed with. I was so impressed by the degree that he had as he returned yes. from his conquering of the degree. <laughs> Thank you. So we started dating once Coles returned to South Florida. We were dating for about six months before he decided to pursue his education um, some more and move to Maryland. So we were long distance for about two and a half, three years. Um, During that time, I was still in school. I I graduated and I was looking for grad schools. I found some in Maryland. Mm -hmm. I moved to Maryland in 2012 because I wanted to continue my education, but he's going to tell you that I moved to Maryland for love. Well, you said it. I ain't got to that's say why, it. That's what he's going to tell you. you. You said it. But I moved to pursue my education. That is my story, and that's what I'm sticking to. Uh, I'm what you says. Yes. <laughs> we, <laughs> we then got engaged in 2013 okay. and uh, got married in 2014. That is our love story. Is it? We've been married for about five years, going on six years in December of this year. Mm-hmm. That's our love story, huh? Mm-hmm. Mm. I, I, I approve it. You approve it? Okay. Yeah. I go again, falling into the mold. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's behaving because it's the you know, podcast. And <laughs> no, I approve the love story. I think the only thing I would add to that is uh, when we first how we first met. I think, um, no, I don't want to say I think. Um, I was working at CVS at the time and Rose was working down in South Florida. And if you know, for her to get home, we would literally have to pass each other on the same road. You know what I'm saying? She would, she would head north and I would head south. So literally in the afternoons, we would have to pass each other. And I think one, one, one night 
she was supposed to meet up with her homegirl at the beach. You know, I don't know what they were doing, but you know, she was gonna meet them at the at the beach. And I happened to text her. I'm like, hey, what up? You know, she's like, ah, this one girl stood me up. We we're supposed to meet together at the beach. And I was like, oh, I'm about to get off of work. I'm not about to do anything for the rest of the night. You know, you know, the beach is heading home anyway. So let me just stop on by. You know, so she was like, sure, why not? Enthusiastically, she said, sure. And you know, I think she was quick fingered on the response as well. Um, so then I stopped on by at the at the beach, right? Was it Fort Lauderdale or Pompano? I can't even remember which it was beach. Fort it was. Lauderdale Beach, right next to my job. Right next to your job. Where right? I had been lounging anyway. Yeah, I know, I know. And then I came in and I um we, we pretty much um started talking, you know, almost like was it for hours, right? For hours, you know, getting home around one, two o'clock in the morning. And we did that for weeks, right? We, we did. We, we did that for weeks. I used to go home and mom would be like, where is this sand coming from in the house? I'd be like, <laughs> I don't know where it's coming from, ma. From my job. Know. That's CVS. They had this new sand station. Yeah, I, don't know. I seem to walk through it. Yeah. So that's that's kind of like how our, I think how the love story officially officially started, kind of like with those with those with those beach conversations, you know, kind of laid into the into the. Um, into the night. It was very romantic, right? The mo was. moonlight, the beach, the water. It was. And that's where he proposed too. I love yeah. it. I brought it full circle. Yeah. Yeah. There you you did. Love there it. Love it. The same beach, right? Yes, the same beach. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I got the romantic bone in me from every every when I want to pull out pull on it, you know, it comes out every once in a while. <laughs> so you guys stated that um you know, you didn't want children right away. So bring us to the point of, okay, you're married. Um, you're in, you know, this newlywed phase. Um, what happens next? Can I, can I start off on this one? You can start off on that one. So I think <clears throat> I, not having children right away, I, I don't know if that was her idea initially, but it was definitely my idea. Of course, we spoke about it and we ended up agreeing, right? But I probably brought it up. My, my whole thinking was I didn't want to be one of those couples where they have kids too soon. Well, I don't want to say too soon, where their entire marriage is with children and they really don't have the opportunity to really know each other and love on each other. Mm -hmm. You know, I've, I've, I've known too many couples where that's the case, right? And almost like when the children are old enough to maybe, let's say, understand, or even when the children leave, um, you know, then they're really just not vibing. You get what I'm saying? Like, who are you? Who did I marry? You know, they, they really begin to question each other, and, you know, and then they question the marriage, right? So I think what, what I wanted initially was for us to at least have some time for us to really get to know each other as as Rose and as myself Coles, right? Without children, right? So I guess, you know, the idea was, you know, let's let's um let's wait a year, right? I don't I don't even know how we settled on a year. Probably some movie or something. Where do people get these numbers from, right? We did the same. We said, <laughs> we, the, we same. said the same thing yeah. for the same yeah. reasons. Like let's enjoy each other before yeah. we have kids. And all of a sudden we we're like, yeah, we're gonna wait this long. A year and, and then it ended up being two years. Yeah, that's what I like. I don't know where that number came from, but somehow we settled on let's let's wait one year, right? And then you know that's what we ended up doing. We waited 
at least a year. Um, I think he was on birth controls or something like that, you know, because rubbers, you know, what's going to happen? <laughs> oh, freedom. <laughs> wow. Okay. Getting married, right? Wow. So um, we, wait, we waited the year, you know, we waited the year um, before we, I guess we, we tried, you know, I guess my point, my guess, we waited the year with her on birth controls, right? And I, I, you know, she'll talk about, you know, were we trying after that year? I really don't know if we were actually trying. We could define that exactly. But I know that we, we were actively not trying to have children within a certain period of time, you know? Mm -hmm. so, so that's so that's the case. Mm -hmm. and, and I would definitely echo him. It's always interesting how the time frame of not actively trying differs between the husband and the wife for almost every couple, it's like they never. When did you stop? I, I was starting already. Like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, we were like not actively trying because he was on birth control, right? So I guess exactly. I guess that's a good definition, right? If you're if you're actively, you know, trying to stop, you know, the boys from reaching make the, it past the goalies. Yeah, you know, <laughs> the goalies. Then, <laughs> then you're actively trying not to have children. A little soccer right? match there. <laughs> You know, so we did the whole year. Again, I don't know where that came from. I mean, maybe it worked because we got married in December, right? I don't know. Yeah, no. I, again, I would echo Cole's absolutely. I wanted to have fun. I wanted to uh, be able to travel. I wanted to be free and not responsible for another person for a year or two. I, we did settle on one year, but um, in my mind, it was a year, maybe two years of um, just being married getting mm -hmm. to know each other again traveling getting to see the world before we had somebody else that would be responsible for that would limit us a little bit more when it came to the different things that we wanted to do yeah yeah so so what did that what did the rest of the journey look like so you decided that we're gonna wait a year or two maybe a year and a half you say a year i say two who knows <laughs> what happens next <clears throat> What happens next? So I know that we started trying in <laughs> January of 2016. I know. How do I know this? He knows. How do I know this? Yes. I know this because I collected my last pill in December and stopped taking them in January. That's how I know we started trying. How did you know? We, we, so he had a head start without knowing before. there was still a goalie. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> Yikes. It's okay, Coles. It's okay. It's okay. Okay, so January. So January we're trying. Mm -hmm. January we're trying. And of course, like many women, I assume in February, we're going to be pregnant. February rolls around and fast forward, it's October and we still have not conceived. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, wow, we, we need to start thinking about maybe going to see my doctor. And that month, we take a pregnancy test because I um, missed my cycle one day. It wasn't very many days, one day. And I was like, oh, we're pregnant. We take the test and long and behold, we were pregnant. Um, and again, going into the pregnancy, it never occurred to me that, you know, unexpected things happen or anything else could have gone wrong or anything else like that. But I remember on the day before my 20 week um, ultrasound when we were pregnant, 
I made an announcement at work that I was expecting, yeah, you know, congratulations, all the wonderful things, right? Um, that next morning went into the doctor's office um, to do the 20-week the ultrasound and the ultrasound tech um, stops in the middle of the ultrasound mm -hmm. and runs out of the room and says, okay, I, I need to go speak to the doctor. You know, you don't think that, you know, anything is wrong. You just think, okay, she's got to go get the doctor. In hindsight, I don't know, maybe my heart should have dropped. I don't know. But um, she goes out, she gets the doctor. The doctor comes back in. The doctor examines me, looks at the ultrasound, and she's like, you've got to go to the ER right now. So um, I don't go to back to work. I don't go back to the house. We head straight to the emergency room. They admit me into the hospital. They put me into what they call the trombone position. Oh, the Trellenberg. Trellenberg? Yeah. Not trombone. Yeah. Trellenberg. Yeah, the It's nine o'clock. My mistake. Um, they put me into the position um, where my feet are up and my um, my head is down. And the reason why they did that is because at the doctor's office, uh, the doctor explained that my cervix had already started opening and um, they needed to do an emergency cerclage for me. And before they could do that, they wanted to make sure that everything had the opportunity to go back to where it should be and gravity was going to do that work for me. So in that, that, that next morning, I go in, they do an um, emergency cerclage for me and I'm released from the hospital. About a week later, I was at home on not necessarily bed rest, but just resting at home and my water broke. Mm. Wow. My water broke because um, there was an infection. I guess by the, the moment that my cervix had opened, maybe some things had gotten in there. Um, they did close it, they cleaned it up, they did everything that they could, but again, my water broke. So they removed the cerclage and we're sitting there in the hospital and we're just, you know, looking through the different literature online thinking, okay, what can we do? How can we, how can we stop this? How, how can my water come back? Because you read things online, right? You become uh, Dr. Google MD. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you're, you're looking through Google, you're seeing these stories about people with similar situations and how they got through it. Unfortunately for me, the, the infection continued to spread. Um, I started getting a fever. I started to shake. And eventually the doctor came in and was like, you, we need to deliver. And we, we cannot wait. You have to deliver. And even then I was still kind of arguing with them because I wanted to save my baby's life, you know? And they, they had already told me it was way too early. There was nothing that they would be able to do if I delivered this early. But again, my infection got kept getting worse and worse and worse. So finally I was like, okay, they gave me some medication to induce labor because I had never gone into labor. There was no labor pains. It was just my water had broken. Um, so they induced labor and we delivered our son at 21 weeks. Mm -hmm. And of course they didn't do any kind of life-saving measures. They, he was just born and he just, he never cried, nothing like that. So that was our, our kind of first experience with um, infertility yeah. or infant loss. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You want to add anything? Mm, not that much. I mean, I guess the only thing I would add is, you know, it's, it's kind of a tough position to be in. It's almost like, you know, Rose is going through that and you want to be able to protect her and, you know, try to comfort her. 
but what she's going through, you know, it's kind of like a, um, it's a personal journey, right? Because I don't know what it feels like to have a child growing within your womb. Mm -hmm. And at 21 weeks, you know, she feels that, right? And I think you said you can start to feel him, feeling him kick, right? Mm -hmm. You know, so all I could do is just kind of stand by, you know, what do you need? You know, hold her hand if that's what you want me to do. You know, I'm just kind of like the, you know, just just kind of like a, you know, on the, on the side, you know, to, to just to be within the voices, you know, notice if she ever needed something. You know, it was kind of scary. You know, it's almost like when she went into the to the um, the surgery to to do the to do the cerclage. You know, I don't think it was long at all. Maybe like forty five minutes an hour. It wasn't it wasn't long, but I promise you that was probably like one of the longest moments in my life, right? Because, you know, the the, the I guess the surgery part of it doesn't take long, but you know, the prep and then the post prep. You know, that adds to the time, and they don't really tell you the total time, right? They give you a surgery time and then you know i'm kind of in the room I, I remember i was watching uh, uh, uh judge judy <laughs> i was watching judge judy and i was like i've seen two episodes of judge judy already you know i feel like he, she should have been back by by now and that's when i started to get really the anxiety started to come a little like what's wrong what's wrong with her what's wrong with the child I think I even tried to go back to the surgery room. And it was like, sir, you can't go back here. And I was like, well, damn, bring her out. You know what yeah. I'm saying? You said like 45 minutes, you know, we're going like on like an hour and a half, you know, so, you know, you really got to tame down a lot of those emotions, you know, and trust that the doctors are doing um, what they say they're going to do. And then honestly, I think the cerclage is, a, you know, it's a, it's a relatively straightforward procedure. You know what I'm saying? Nothing major, but when you're in that moment, you don't know that all of logic kind of gets, you know, thrown out the window, you know, and unfortunately, you know, that didn't, you know, that didn't do what we wanted it to do, which was to kind of keep everything in, you know, when her water did break, you know, unfortunately. And, um, you know, when she was, you know, we decided, um, the doctor said, all right, um, do you want to deliver, right? Remember they say, do you want to deliver? Mm -hmm. And we said, nah, we're going to wait and see, right? It was like, you know, God said, he, you know, we're going to have this child, right? So, you know, we're not going to have any human intervention, right? Because they wanted you to to deliver right away. I think we probably went almost like one day, you know, one day from when her water broke to when she delivered. And then she was still in that um, that position trying to get everything to, to go back, that Trellenberg position, trying to get everything to go back. But she was still... The, the the fluid was still leaking you get what i'm saying which is not good for for a child anyways and i think um the infection one thing you wanted to avoid is um some sepsis right yes you know she ended up you know that's the one thing you definitely want to avoid and i think she got the fever and she was like am i shaking am i shaking and i was like yeah you you're shaking you know trembling like you know it's one of those things where you literally see her shake and i remember um the 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 um the office where she goes to it might be like three or four doctors and they all see you they're all great doctors right and i think at that moment was one particular doctor but it wasn't the doctor that she's used to seeing you know regularly right and then he was the doctor who was like yo we need to deliver and then we were like at eh, pause doctor you know you're still practicing right that's why they call it medicine you're practicing you know but you know we serve a living god and we're gonna see what he got to say right mm -hmm. And then when she started shaking, um, 
the doctor that she normally sees, I don't know if I told you this, right? The doctor that she normally sees, she calls me and she's like, yo, tell your wife to deliver this baby because you don't want her to die from sepsis. And that's what's going to happen if you don't deliver because, you know, she, she was shaking because she had a fever, mm-hmm. right? And that's kind of like usually the first signs for something worse to come, right? So then we decided, I don't know, did we decide or did I decide at that moment? I don't know. I think you may have decided. Yeah, to like, yo, we're going to have to, we're going to have to deliver because, you know, we can always, we can always try again, right? You know, to have a child. But once, if Rose is gone, then, you know, then what am I going to do, right? Right. You know, so, you know, it was definitely tough, you know. And then I think one thing we were also doing was we didn't want to know the um, sex. We didn't want to know the sex, right? It was one of those small surprises that we wanted that, you know, once he's de- once he's delivered, we'll be like, oh, great, it's a boy or a girl. You know, we wanted to have that surprise, you know. So when it was delivered, it was like, oh, it's a boy. It was like, oh, man. You know, so all around it was, it was definitely, it was definitely tough, you know, going through that moment, you know. But, you know, it's one of those things where it's, you know, it's, it's but a blimp in your life. You know, you, you go through it and then you just kind of, I don't want to say, you know, strap on your boots, you know, Maya Yacinti and go on to, to the next event. But, you know, you, you realize that it's an event, right? You, at least I tried not to dwell on it. I don't know about you, babe, but I tried not to dwell on it too much. You know, I know it was an event. We knew why we was in the position, right? We knew that. And we knew if ever we was fortunate, you know, to be in a position to have another child, we knew the steps that we would have to take to assure you know, that we would, you know, that we would have a successful delivery. You mm-hmm. get what I'm saying? And so I guess that kind of helped me to not not dwell on it as much, you know, and it kind of helped me to to move forward, you know. So, you know, while while it was tough, you know, I guess it, it, it wasn't that tough on me, you know, because also I knew that there was a way out. And then also, unlike Rose, who did share that she was pregnant, I mean, I guess she's a woman, you know, you can see when someone's pregnant, nobody knew that I was getting ready to have a child, you get what I'm saying? And so that's something that I, that I was able to kind of keep within, with, within myself and then, you know, deal with that myself and then move on. Yeah. And you said an important piece is like, you know, she states it, you know, says it to her, you know, work family and everyone's excited. And then now you're going into the season where, you know, you're, you are having to deal with the emotions that come with a loss. Mm -hmm. And now you have to circle back and tell these same people, Hey, this is what I'm going through. You know? So tell us about that transition, you know, after, you know, you lost your son um, and then, you know, trying to navigate, through the emotions, you know, trying to navigate through the impact, you know, what was, what was your thought process? Who was there to kind of support you? Um, Were there any comments kind of made that, you know, helped you or rubbed you the wrong way? You know, because sometimes people say things that they think are helpful, but um, may not be helpful. So kind of um, take us through that journey of navigating after the loss. Okay. So, like I said, the day before I went into the hospital, I'd made this announcement at work, right? Um, That I was expecting a baby. And that next day I was out of the office and I was out of the office for the next six weeks because I did take some maternity um, leave after I delivered. 
So um, for me, it was it was that shock. It was that I cannot believe that, you know, I was expecting a child and now I didn't get to bring a child home, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it was that mourning and that grief that, um, and I was at home by myself. So it was just me sitting there thinking about it, going over it in my head. What could I have done differently? What did I do? Um, how did this happen? And those questions that you ask God, you're like, well, God, you know, I did, I did everything you asked me to, you know, I did it in order. So how could you let this happen? So you, you start thinking about those things, not to say that it's wrong or right, but you do start thinking um, like that. And for me, I needed somebody to speak to. So um, the hospital recommended a grief counselor that I went to see. I remember that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And um, he didn't need to see a grief counselor because he journals and he he does these other things to kind of get through his emotions. But for me, I needed to be able to sit sit in front of somebody who was impartial, somebody who was in family, who wasn't a friend. She was just there to listen and kind of understand what I've been going through. And she said a couple of things that really resonated and it's stuck with me. Um, The first thing that she said was, you need to go into work before you actually return to work and just maybe have lunch with some of your coworkers and have them see you. And like, you know, maybe if you're comfortable, talk a little bit about it so that um, the first time you go back into work isn't after your maternity leave. And that's when people are kind of trying to avoid the subject or not say anything, looking at you, whatever it, 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 um, it might be. But I took her advice. I, I had lunch with a couple of my coworkers before I went back to work. The other thing that she said to me that was incredibly important was that your rose-colored glasses have been taken off, right? (laughs) No matter whether you get pregnant again, if you don't get pregnant again, um, those those glasses are off. And if you do get pregnant again, it's never going to be the same thing. You're never going to be able to experience pregnancy the same way. Even if you have a healthy pregnancy the next time, you're still going to always be worried you're Mm -hmm. still always going to be fearful and you have to kind of learn to deal with it so that it doesn't take over your life Um, so that was really really insightful for me and um she really helped me out just thinking about that just um if i start feeling the anxiety i need to just maybe go into another room. I used to use the mother's room all the time, going to the mother's room at work. She said, just because you don't have a baby doesn't mean you're not a mother. Mm-hmm. Wow. You know, you can That's... go into the mother's room, sit in there, have a few moments. If you have to cry, if you have to take um, some deep breaths, do that. Mm-hmm. Take that time for yourself and don't let it become overwhelming for mm-hmm. yourself. Um, you did say um, what kind of support system I had. Well, you know, I have my Haitian moms, yes. <laughs> my mom and my mother-in-law in the dead of winter, guys, the dead of winter, you know, Haitians don't like the cold no. dead of winter. They flew down to Maryland to be with me. Mm-hmm. Um, my sister flew down to be with me. So those that support for that next week, even though sometimes my mom was just like, you got to eat or you got to come here. Yeah. All kinds of stuff. <laughs> she she had to do for me <laughs> um but that support system was important um that feeling of being loved and being supported that you know um it doesn't matter what the weather is because truly and honestly they don't like the cold weather they're gonna fly down and they're gonna be with you and they're gonna make sure that you're able to get through this mm-hmm. um, that was important for me and of course 
what else was important was, um, and we talked about a little bit about that taboo. Yeah. Was the family members, the friends, the people that kind of reached out to say, hey, you know, this happened to me. This is what, um, this is the process. This is what happened. This is how it happened. People that I had never even known had gone through this. Mm -hmm. Um, They were reaching out. They were talking to me. They were telling me, okay, it's not the end of the world. I know it feels like it. Sometimes um, you're going to have your good days. You're going to have your bad days. It doesn't matter. You're still going to be able to get through this. Mm-hmm. That support mm-hmm. system was incredibly important also. Which is also annoying because, right, I think one thing, one thing that doctors ask you early on is like, what's your family history, right? Now, we didn't know. I think didn't they, one of your aunt or somebody kind of have a have um, uh, a miscarriage or something like that. Because mm-hmm. I remember your mom was saying, oh yeah, your aunt went through the same thing, you know, and she ended up having a baby. And I was thinking to myself, well, damn, if you would have told us that this was, she had that, you know, then maybe when the doctor would have said, you know, what's the family history, then we could have said, oh, you know, there was an aunt who did have a miscarriage, you know, mm-hmm. because, you know, having the, um, the weak cervix, that's something you could watch out for, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? It's something you could treat early, you know, and then, you know, I think about that sometimes, right? How oftentimes family members, you know, we, we, you know, we keep things to ourselves and we don't share, but we don't realize kind of like the impact it may have on others because, you know, while it, it, it is something that I guess you, you, you keep to yourself, you know, probably because that's the way you cope, you know, but, you know, if you just share with someone else, then it could have, you know, in, in our case, it probably would have allowed for us to have a son, right? Because they would have monitored Rose's service a little bit closer, you know, early, early on in the pregnancy, right? You know, so I still kind of get upset about that. But, you know, I, I try not to dwell because, you know, we're in the position that we're supposed to be in, right? right? So, you know, we needed to go through that to get to get to where we are now. So, you know, I, I try not to dwell too much on it and not to get upset at that one aunt who wants to be very vocal now. <laughs> I wish she was vocal, you know, back then, but, you know, it, it, it is what it is. Yeah. You know, that's that crazy part of it being so taboo yeah. that, you know, people don't talk about it until afterwards. And, and, it's, and that's why we asked that question because there are so many people, family, friends, people who've dealt with this who don't tell you, hey, warning signs, these are the things that you need to be mindful of. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and that definitely sucks. Um, and go ahead. I'm sorry, Woody. I, I was gonna. I, I apologize for cutting you off. And you are absolutely correct because during that two and a half weeks, three weeks before I went in for my 20 week um, ultrasound appointment, I was having like little zings, you know. Um, and I I said something to a coworker, and she was like, "Oh, that sounds like thunder crotch." And I was like, "What is thunder crotch?" <laughs> right. Like, oh, you start you start getting that kind of later in pregnancy. I guess some people get it early, is what she said to me, right? And she said that yeah, once you start getting closer, it's like some zings that you get um, that that are kind of unexpected, and you're not doing anything, and you just feel them, right? And that could have been a warning sign for yeah. me. Could have been a while. I had gone to the, the doctor and said, I'm experiencing this thing and this is my first pregnancy. I didn't know. You know, yeah. if I if if it had not been my first pregnancy, I probably would have gone to the doctor and said, Hey, this isn't right. But this is my absolute first pregnancy. So there's no way that I would have known that this might be a sign. There right. might be something wrong, you know? 
So ha- speaking to people and kind of talking to them about your experiences is so important. Yeah. Um, Coles. Mm-hmm. Now I've known you for a long time and I, I and this, there is one thing I know about Coles is Coles deals with stress probably better than anybody I know either that or he pushes it into a box. Um, He's very cool <laughs> under pressure. That's an understatement. Um, but I think that a lot of people don't, you know, men and women deal with this differently. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your coping? Uh, uh, you know, we talked from time to time, but how'd you cope? How'd you deal? What was your support system? How did you process it individually? Because we know Rose talked about she needed that counselor. She needed to go sit on that. Um, what did you do? How did you get through those those dark nights? Yeah, well, you know, I can't I can't say I've had many, many dark nights because I think, you know, like Rose said, I do journal, right? And I and I write down my thoughts and then I kind of see it as an opportunity to kind of take whatever is in my head that's, you know, and just purge and, and just put it on paper. And it's like, you know, once it kind of, once it's on paper, then it kind of leaves my mind a little bit and it's not something that I dwell on. So, you know, I, I, could, I can honestly say, you know, back then I was writing a lot, you know, I, I was writing to God, you know, maybe multiple times a day, you know, I was, you know, whether I was angry, I'd be like, dear Lord, why do you hate me so much, you know, or dear Lord, you know, you know, let your will be done, you know, whatever was going through my mind at that time, I would, um, I would write, I would write it down because I think, you know, having, having a brother and sister who's kind of like in this therapy counseling field, right? I think I'm extra sensitive and mindful on how, you know, when you internalize stress, how, you know, it may, the outward appearance, right? And I, and I never wanted to be one of those people to, um, to snap, at someone else, you know, or maybe, you know, you know, curse at someone or, you know, what, what, whatever it is, you know, because I was internalizing all of this. So, you know, what really worked for me was really kind of journaling and writing things down. And, and honestly, I have like, you know, maybe three books of journals right now, you know, Rose isn't allowed to read it, you know, until I die, you know, because she would probably, she would, listen, she would probably hate me, you know, for what's, what's in the journal. Cause you know, I mean, you know, honestly, I'm blaming everybody you know, don't, don't read it, babe. It's, you won't, you might get a divorce if you read it. I'm not going to lie to you. Oh, <laughs> wow. Just, why are just you a burn like, the book. Just why burn it. are you like this? Yeah, it, it might make sense to burn the journals. I'm not going to lie to you. Oh, they're not being burned. Damn. They I'm, will be read. I, I might have to put in the will or something to burn the journal. Oh but, you know, but. Who's going to follow through with it? You go to jail if you don't. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> So to your point, Woody, that's how I purged. That's how I, that's how I coped with it. Right. I think, um, because this was my first major, I don't, I don't know if I want to call it trauma, but probably my first major loss. I mean, my father died when I was like five, six. Right. But yeah, you know, when you're that young, you really don't understand death or anything like that. Right. So, um, I think this was really my first one and I really did not know you know, what my response would be, right? You really don't know how you're going to be until you kind of go through that, right? So we, we tried to go to the um, the whole group counseling thing. And- uh, <laughs> That's when we knew that Coles didn't need a counselor. <laughs> you should have called me, Rose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he made those people in the group so uncomfortable. I was like, I am not coming back here with you. <laughs> no, and, I'm, and I'm glad you didn't go back there with me. And, you know, and everybody, you know, they, they, they need their support you know, they get their support differently. You know, I would just say that my experience in that specific group, listen, and again, to the listeners, if you need group support, go for it and go get it. 
but my experience, I think we might have been one month after he was delivered, right? Mm -hmm. Probably, right? Because it was a monthly thing. And I promise you, we was in that room. It might have been seven or eight women, and they all had, you know, a loss at different times. And they 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 took that opportunity to kind of release all of that to everybody. And I mean, it was a crying fest. And I was like, what the hell is this? I can't be in this room where, you know, where tissue paper is almost like a requirement, you know? I mean, and granted, I know people have to purge and they want to talk it out. I get it, you know, but for me, I could not be in that room. I'm sitting there with my arms crossed. I was like, where's the healing? I can't heal if everybody's crying, you know? That, that was kind of my thought. And I was just like, I'm, I'm not coming back here again. And I knew that writing, journaling kind of worked well for me. I just didn't know if it would work well with such a with such you know with such a great trauma happen, happening in my life and and it worked well it worked well and it still works well so I think that's important though um, I think it's important to find what works for you you knew being in that room with all those you know people find some form of comfort knowing that they're not in something alone so that room was helpful for some people but I think it's important that you knew this isn't helping me. And that you knew that I have to get it out one way or another. Your form of getting it out was, I'm going to write these letters to God. And sometimes I'll be mad at God and sometimes I'll be mad at everybody else around me. And that's why we're going to burn these books. Write them, go ahead and leave it in your will to me. I'll burn them. Um, but I think- I'm going to some copies. Okay. <laughs> but I, I think that's important and it's good. And to the listeners, I think that's, that's the key piece here is that no one can tell you what it's going to take for your healing to start. You have to figure out what really works for you. And what and define it for yourself. Exactly. And, you have to and I think with us, Rose, I don't know if this was your first major trauma or loss. I don't know. Yeah, it but was. It was. But I think, you know, Rose was trying to figure out what worked well for her too. You know, I was like, I was like, Yeah, you need to you need to start writing. Right. I think I even bought your journal. So they okay. say you probably didn't write anything in that journal. Might I've be written like, some stuff in the journal. It might be five years old. You haven't written anything. So I told her to to write in it. You know, that's you know, to your point, Woody, you have to figure out on your own what works well for you, right? So writing worked well for me. You know, I tried to impress onto Rose that writing would work well for her. It did not. It it it, it didn't work well for her. Mm-hmm. I think he was talking to a, a, a counselor for a little bit, right? Yes, babe. Yeah. We just talked about my experience with the grief counselor. Oh yeah, yeah. She was I good. went to see her. I think twice a week for until even after I went back to work. Oh wow, really? That long? Mm-hmm. See, mm. that's, that's how she coped. I didn't even know she was coping. Look at that. In the <laughs> this guy. <laughs> this guy. Don't pay attention to him, guys. <laughs> he is joking, folks. Yeah, this is his humor. Yeah, this is <laughs> yeah, I knew she was going. You know, and I'm actually like, how was it today? And she was like, nah, that's between me and the lady. And I was like, all right. <laughs> so. so, you know, some time passes, you know. Um, and for me, you know, when we think about loss and, and grief, it's an, to me an ongoing thing. It's like you have this scar. Um, you may have had a scab, you know, go over it to heal it. After some times that scab comes off, but you always kind of have a little scar. So this time, you know, you, you've taken this time, um, you know, to heal. And you've both spoken about how you um, dealt with the various emotions. So you go through this time and what kind of decision and conversations 
happen about trying to conceive, um, you know, moving forward and how, you know, you know, take us on that journey of how you become blessed with your bundle of joy, Aster, now. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, There was no real conversation um, about trying to conceive again. We just decided, okay, well, um, we've gone through this. It's, it was an emotional roller coaster. Um, of course, we took the time for me to heal. And then we just decided, okay, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen naturally again, right? Um, so I wouldn't call it trying this time. I would just call <laughs> it. <laughs> uh, there were no goalies anywhere in sight um, uh, for about six months. And I realized, hmm, uh, it's been six months. My birthday's coming up. So that means I'm going to go see my OBGYN because I usually go see her around my birthday um, for my annual visit. I'm going to talk to her about a fertility doctor because it's it's been a little while. Um, so I go, I talk to her. She gives me some recommendations. Um, and then I go with Coles to go see the fertility doctor. Um, of course, they start off with running a ton of tests on myself, on Coles. Um, and then they send me back to my OB um, because one of my fallopian tubes had been damaged because of the infection during my previous pregnancy. Wow. And they said that, you know, this is going to prevent you from getting pregnant. And it, when you do get pregnant, it could be a problem. So I go in for surgery, I believe in October um, of 2018, I go in for surgery. Um, after the surgery um, in January of 2019, we go back to the fertility doctor. Um, we had rearranged some stuff with insurance because they had already um, let us know after you you have the surgery, the best option for you right now would definitely be IVF. So again, we look at our insurance plans. We look at our finances. We are like, <laughs> okay, this is the plan, right? So we go back to the fertility doctor um, and we start that journey of IVF um, at the beginning of 2019. We take all the shots and I'm going to tell you right now, ladies, if you are afraid of needles, (laughs) (laughs) IVF is not the path for you. And if you are afraid of needles, uh, you will become unafraid of them if you do go down that journey. So we go down the journey of IVF. Um, we do two rounds. The first round we go through um, was not successful. So we do a second round of IVF. And that's that one was successful. We became pregnant. And I'm not even going to tell you how stress stressful it was <laughs> being pregnant after we had um, that first loss, right? Um, My coping mechanism for that was calling my mother and my mother-in-law every morning at 6 a.m., praying with them um, while I went through my pregnancy journey. Of course, we we did what um, we were supposed to during the journey. Uh, They did a preventative cerclage for us at about 14 weeks Mm -hmm. um, to make sure that my cervix did not open back up. At about 16 weeks, I started doing weekly appointments at the doctor's office for them to give me progesterone shots. Mm -hmm. It was this thick oil. Again, guys, if you're afraid of needles, (laughs) this is not going to be an easy journey. But, um, 
every week was um, in office visits. And what the, the blessing in disguise right there was that every week I got to hear my baby's heartbeat, right? Every week or every other week, I got an ultrasound, a picture of her. Um, and they were, they were very tightly monitoring me. So once I hit 37 or 36 weeks, I apologize. When I, when I hit 36 weeks, they removed the cerclage um, and they stopped the progesterone shots. One week after that cerclage was removed, my water broke. The wow. moment the doctor walked into the, um, the birthing room, he was like, oh, thank God we did that cerclage. I was like, yeah, thank God. Wow. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, Astro was born on February 14th at 8.07 a.m. February 4th. Oh, my goodness. February 4th. (laughs) It's okay. I I wasn't going to correct you on here, but... (laughs) You corrected me. I feel like it's important. Yes, it's important. (laughs) February the 4th. Yes. Never gonna let me live that (laughs) She hears this. And you know, know what's so amazing about this is um, it's interesting to hear about you being worried because I remember when you got, when you both got pregnant, like we were like, we found out like the same, basically like the same day or the same week. Um, and we were all like, just so excited, you know, um, and just standing in the gap in prayer, in prayer. you know, in prayer. and I think because we were by that time we were in our journey, but beforehand, when you first, when you're, when you had your loss, we weren't kind of in the journey full on yet. And so it's hard to, you don't know what to say, you know what I mean? And so you try like to just say, hi, how are you doing? And just kind of check on um, individuals, but you don't, you know, I want to speak to the listeners that are listening, not because they, they have gone through this journey, but they're supporting, you know, friends and family that are going through this journey. And um, it's, it's, it's tough because you don't know what to say, you know, and I, and what I found is just being there and just being, um, a listening ear, um, is the best route to go, you know, and if you say, Hey, how are you doing? And, and the conversation starts, you know, just listen, sometimes people just need to vent, you know, mm-hmm. but I just remember that moment of, you know, we knew you guys were going through the IVF process and, you know, the first round didn't, you know, stick. And then the second round did, and we're like, come on, God, like you got to take them to the finish line. (laughs) You know what I mean? um, It's just been so amazing um, to be privy to your journey um, and to see, you know, uh, life after loss, you know, Um, and and it's not easy, like you said, you know, Um, and I just love the fact that you said you had both of your champions on 6 a.m. calls, praying with them on the dot. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Coles, is there anything you want to add um, in regards to, you know, the journey of... No, I think um, I'm just thinking about the journey. It's, it's almost like IDF is, 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 is quite costly, right? Mm-hmm. And when you think about the position that God put us in, you know, just to do all of that, you, you really have to say that he's amazing. I think, um, I guess I'll, I'll give some nuggets, right? So, you know, when we was going through this, um, we were getting ready to buy a house, right? You know, just because we were tired of renting, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, kind of kind of on the whim, we said, oh, this looks like a nice house. 
we said we're not going to go into too much into the new year um, renting, right? So we ended up buying a house. And it just so happened that the house we ended up buying was kind of like right down the street from the fertility clinic, not even mm-hmm. know, right? Mm-hmm. Because Rose literally needed to be there almost weekly at certain times, right? And then the house we were at before might've been like a good 40 minutes from there. Wow. And now we're like five minutes. We're like, man, God, look at you. Mm-hmm. You, know, you literally put us in a place where, where we needed to be, right? I think also we think about, you know, we, 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 we entered this journey early on in the year, right? And I think the good thing about it is it allowed us to, to meet our deductible and it allowed us to, um, to meet our out-of-pocket max, right? So if you know anything about insurance, once you meet your out-of-pocket max, right, pretty much everything else moving forward is, is free. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So, you know, once we went through that first round of IVF, which definitely made us, made us meet our out-of-pocket max and, I mean, our deductible and our out-of-pocket max, you know, that second round of IVF was pretty much on the insurance, right? Thank God, right? Where would we have been able to find almost thirty, thirty-five thousand dollars, you know, for another round of IVF, you know what I'm saying? So we thank the Lord for that. You know, we also thank the Lord because the progesterone shot that Rose had to take um, for 20 weeks, it's six hundred dollars. Per shot. Per shot. Wow. Six hundred dollars per shot for twenty weeks, and I know, and I remember when the doctor said we was like, it was like, uh, doc, do we really need it? Because you know we got this the surclage. I mean, we got the surclage in, and you know insurance may not cover it because um, the the shot was for preventative measures, right? And mm-hmm. then what Rose went through, you know, it probably wouldn't work cleanly, right? And we was like, the doctor said we'll just go ahead and see. And I was like, so if it fails, where are we gonna get six hundred dollars a week? To, to, to make this happen for 20 weeks, right? It was like, can we do it for 10 weeks, you know? Because that's a lot of money, right? Can we go every, can we go every other doctor? week, barter? <laughs> you know, you're, trying to, you're trying to ration, right? And then I think, um, you know, the lady was, the, the doctor was like, hey, look, I know somebody who's in the exact same case as you. She got the same drug from India for $2. And we was like, what? Let's move to she India. Said, $2. $2. You don't have to tell us their name, just slip us their number and we're not going to tell them where you got, where yeah, we got this phone know. number from. It was like, you know, I'm getting ready to ship drugs from India to make sure that Rose gets these, you know, these weekly shots, you know, but ultimately it, it, it ended up working, right? Insurance ended up covering it. And we're like, man, God, you know, clearly you, you're, you're knocking down these hurdles, these barriers in front of us. You know, we, we, you know, this child really has to be born now, right? I mean, the surclage work, you know, we made it through, um, I think um, Michael, he was born um, 21 weeks. So once Rose was pregnant, I was praying, God was like, you kind of put these um, these markers in the way and you just want to yeah. check them off, right? The first marker was like, okay, let's get to um, when you needed to get the surclage, right? 14 weeks, It was yep. like, okay, Lord, let's get us to 14 weeks. It was like, okay, check. All right, Lord, what's the next marker? Okay, let's get to 21. If we get past 21, now we're in new territory. Then it was mm-hmm. like, all right, Lord, thank you very much. Check. We got past 21. Let's get to viability. Which is 24 weeks, right? Mm-hmm. It was like, all right, Lord, let's get past 24. Boom, you're checking. Mm-hmm. They were like, okay, Lord, well, you know, you know, we're at viability, but we want the kid to have like, you know, fully functional lungs or heart or limbs. You know, then you 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 know how a baby's growing almost yes. daily. And then you're hitting with off with these check marks. You're like, okay. 
at this point, you know, she should have, you know, a hand or, you know, uh, the lungs should be functioning or, you know, kidneys and things. And we're checking off because I think one thing was, at least I was worried, I don't know about you, I was worried that even though the cerclage was in, right, we was going in and being checked um, weekly, they were still letting us know, you know, it kind of looks like the, was it the cervix, right? Mm-hmm. It's a little open. Then you come back the next week, it's like, okay, it's a little closed. And like, oh, lady, uh, too much stress. You know, it's almost yeah. like, stop, stop, stop talking to us. You know, we're like, is this good or is this bad? And then the, 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 the it was the, the sonogram lady. She'll be like, ah, it's a little open. I'm like, is it a little bit more open than last week? Or is it the same, the, the same way this week? And then the doctor would be like, ah, it's negligible. And we're like, Oh my God, you guys are talking, you know, because you're literally holding your breath week by week. Yeah. No, week by week. And, you know, and they're, they're used to it. Right. They, they see this stuff, you know, multiple times a day, you know, they know, you know, and they'll be like, ah, don't worry. But we're like, no, I got to worry because my experience is my reality at this point. Mm -hmm. Right. And I, and I know nothing else. So, you know, kind of, and then I was even thinking, okay, there's pre, there's pre, uh, uh, when a baby's born, or what is it called? A preemie. There's right? a micro preemie. There's a micro preemie, right? And then there's all these other terms during certain weeks. I was like, okay, we're no longer in the preemie stage, right? We're no longer in this. And kind of just checking off these marks. And then you're like, okay, Lord, listen, man. I'm talking <laughs> to a couple of clinicians. They're like, yeah, if we get to 32, we're pretty much, we're pretty much at the, we're pretty much in the clear, you know? And then we get to 32. Then I was like, okay. I don't think it wasn't, it probably wasn't until like, when were you delivered, babe, 36? 36, I took off this, they removed, they removed the cir- right? cerclage, 37 weeks on 30. the dot. I, I think it I might, delivered. I think it wasn't probably until a week they removed it where I was like, I think I'm about to be a father. You get mm-hmm. what I'm saying? You know, it, because it, it was really, so it was really that stressful, you know, where, you know, I think we ended up having a, um, a baby shower, right? Like you would, you took the pictures, right? We ended up having a baby shower and the pictures, right? If it was me, I wouldn't have had those things, right? Because, you know, I was stressed, you know, on, on a weekly basis, holding my breath, you know, and all those things that, you know, natu- I don't say naturally come, but that comes with, you know, the celebration of having a child. I, I, I didn't want to do, have to, to go through that because for me at this point, I started telling people that, you know, you know, we're about to have a baby, right? Opposed to the first time I didn't really tell anybody and I was able to keep that, internalize that and keep that to myself. This time I started kind of sharing and other folks knew and there was like, all right, Coles, you know, how's Rose doing? How's the baby? Your baby should be this big, you know, make sure you rub Rose's feet. You know, she's going <laughs> to like the feet, um, rub her back. I was like, okay, I, I will make sure I do these things. You know what I'm saying? So you kind of had like these outside factors that kept reminding you that you're going to have a child, but I never really accepted the thought that I would actually be a father until kind of like a week before, before she delivered. And I was just like, okay, I think my whole life is about to change. Mm-hmm. And it came through. And then, she, I mean, Rose was a trooper, man. She ended up, you know, kind of pretty much delivering um, without the shot, you know, but. The epidural. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She was like, Lee, she was like, I'm, I'm going through labor. Or is, what is it called? Uh, um, uh, Active labor or contraction? contraction? I'm having a contraction. The lady's like, I don't see it on the monitor. She's like, I'm having a contraction. I was like, <laughs> I was like nurse, she said she's, she's having, having a contraction. I guess she is. I don't know what to do at this moment. I'll hold her hand, nurse. Maybe <laughs> she'll <feel> like you. <laughs> 
you know, Coles told me early on, like early on, um, after you got pregnant with Astra, he was like, you know, I'm just taking it week by week. And for me, that was my indication not to ask Coles how he's feeling. Right. Our conversations about it was, how's Rose doing? How are you supporting her? And that was my way of checking in on how he's dealing because if he talked a lot about how you were doing, I knew he was doing okay. Yeah. And if he was just like, she's all right. I was just like, all right, I'm gonna keep praying. <laughs> I'm gonna keep praying. And, and so I, I could tell, I could sense that. And I think for the listeners who are supporting people who's going through that and on that journey, you don't have to ask somebody how they're doing to know how they're doing. You just, you check in just how, how just talking to them sometimes will, will do that. And I could tell, by Cole's voice, whether it was a conversation we were going to be able to, oh, she's doing good. She went to the doctor. Okay. They said everything's on the up and up or she's all right. And I'm like, oh, they didn't go to the doctor yet. So he's still holding his breath. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's kind of funny. It's like we would go to the doctor when was it? Wednesday, right? That's mm-hmm. what it was. Every Wednesday to get the shot. And it's like, I'll be good. Like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, maybe even uh, Saturday, right? There's like, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, you know, you're kind of like, it's a buildup, it's a buildup, right, right, like, oh man, and you get to Wednesday, you're like, okay, we're good, you know, yeah. you go for a couple of days, over again. Yeah. you do it all over again, you know, but, you know, it's, it's definitely an emotional, it's definitely an emotional roller coaster, and, you know, you know, like, this, again, you know, I journaled a lot, you know, and I wrote it down, and that's how I purged, you know, a lot of, a lot of my feelings, you know, and, and I had to be there for Rose, right, because, you know, I don't know if he was joking when you said Dr. Google, but I mean, you probably had, you know, a PhD in that, right? It's almost yeah, I like- did. <laughs> I had my PhD in Google MD. Listen, Google was my best friend. The doctor told me not to, but I, I would smile at her, tell her, of course not, and be right in my car in the doctor's parking lot, parking lot. whatever symptom that I had. Um, and, and I think it was the way... For, for me to cope and just kind of reading the online stories. I joined some Facebook um, communities about people going through the same thing, like how they were coping, um, like their their journeys, their stories. There are some people that were like maybe a few weeks ahead of me that I would kind of read what's been going on in, in their lives. And then some people a few weeks behind me and um, some of them needed that word of encouragement. So I would give that to them and just tell them like, you know, this is what would happen when you went in for that surprise. This is what would happen um, when you took that progesterone shot. And so it, it, that supportive community was great. And also I started a, a group chat again with my sister, my best friend, um, uh, uh, well, all my sisters and my best friend and just like every week I would give them the, an, an update. I would take a picture and send it to them. So that um, that was, again, a, a way of um, giving my myself that support. Yeah. Yeah. So what words of advice would you would you all have for people who are going through this journey, women and men um, who might be going through this infertility journey, whether they have suffered from a loss or not? Uh, I would say, uh, keep being strong, keep moving forward. Um, if you are religious, keep praying, keep God in front. Even if your conversation with God is why would you let this happen? God, even if the conversation is, um, I can't believe you would let me, um, go through this journey. I can't believe you would allow this to happen to me. 
talk to him. Um, definitely, I would say find a, a, a way to support yourself through maybe some family, some friends. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be anybody that had gone through it because not many of my friends have, have gone through the same situation. Not many of the family members have gone through the same situation, but they were still there to support me, to kind of listen when I gave them that update. Um, sometimes they would ask me questions that I would go back and Google, you know, my my MD would strengthen. <laughs> but um, that's definitely how um, I coped. And I feel like it, it was it was a really wonderful coping mechanism. And again, like, if you do go through a loss, if you need somebody to sit down and be that impartial person that you're speaking to, that you're kind of venting and, um, and they're there just to listen to you, they're not there to necessarily give you advice or anything else like that. Um, if you need that, you should go ahead and do that. Like that shouldn't stop, um, nothing should stop you from getting that assistance and that help. Mm -hmm. I think the only thing I would add to this is, you know, when, when you're going through this, there's going to be kind of like the self evaluation moment, right? You're, you're going to have to figure out what works, what works for you. Right. And then, and then once you figure out, like for me, right, the group therapy didn't work, you know, we, we tried it, Rose, it doesn't work for me. She's like, I, right, you don't need to come anymore. And then I told Rose, Hey, go ahead and try writing. She's like, it doesn't work for me. And I was like, okay, go do your group therapy. Right. So you're going to have to figure out, you know, what works well for you, what works well for you, right? And then once you figure out what works well for you as you're kind of going through this loss, I think it's important that you also tell people, you know, this works for me, I need you not to do this, right? Or, you know, like what he would say when we would talk, you know, he picked up on the vibe, right? And then he never crossed the line, you know, and, and then as you guys are going through this too, I talked to Woody, you know, several times, right? And Woody, I don't even know how many times we actually talk about you going through the process, but we talk, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and then sometimes you just want to talk. And then if the conversation naturally flows into that, you know, so so be it. You know, if it doesn't, you know, I don't need to know everything that you guys are going through, but sometimes you just need to talk. And I understand that, you know, talking, Woody talks a lot, right? And then sometimes he wants to talk, you know, so I'll be that listening ear for Woody to talk and that works for him. And then for me, what worked for me was actually writing things down, right? That was, that was how I coped. And that was, and I didn't really need to hear someone say, you know, it'll be all right. You know, you know, you have another chance to have another baby, you know, you know, let God will be done. Yeah. Yeah. You know, all of those sound you know, good, you know, when it's, when, when it's coming from someone else, but once you're in that situation, yeah. you know, figure out what actually works well for you. And then once you figure out what works well for you, let people know, you know, what works well for you and what doesn't work well for you. And then, you know, you know, trust me, if, if, if they, if they're really on your team, you know, they will definitely adhere to, to kind of like those rules that you set. And, you know, and if they don't, then, you know, they're, they're not part of your team and they don't need to be part of your support team, you know, helping you go through this journey. Say that. I think that's a good note to end on. <laughs> Drop Dropping some yes. wisdom right there. You see yes. how you can do it? like tied it with a nice little bow for us. <laughs> At the end, came through in the clutch. <laughs> So, Coles and Rose, I want to thank you. We want to thank, you, want to thank so you so much for much. taking the time to be part of the Infertility Podcast or being part of our journey. 
and um, really just being open about your story. So before we close, how can we connect with you, whether on you know, social media or what have you, websites? Um, how can we connect with you um, as we move forward? Um, for myself, you can find me on Facebook, just under Rose Mercier. Um, you can find me um, in Instagram under Rose K. Mar. You can also find me um, under uh, our business profile, which is Notre Design. Follow us on <laughs> Instagram. Black um, Women in Business. Exactly. Haitian-owned Black Women Business. Yes. So um, those are my handles. What are yours? No, I, for, for me, if you want to reach out, you know, Stone, Stone under slash Coles, S-T-O-N-E under slash C-O-L-E-S. I could be reached that way. Um, or you can hit me up on my realtor page, Coles under slash uh, Mercier under slash realtor. Um, you know, I think, um, you know, I definitely want to commend you, Daniel, with, with your podcast and all of the great work that you're doing. You know, I, honestly, I, I don't know many Haitians who, who, who've gone through this process right but I, I mean I don't know them personally but I know there there is a whole hell of a lot mm -hmm. that's gone through it, right and then what your podcast does you know it, it opens up the conversation for people to feel you know at ease to to speak about their journey right you know it's it's not something that everyone goes through but it's something that a lot of people go through and just because you go through it you know doesn't mean that there's nobody out there that can't support you you know so I'm glad you're doing this you know it's definitely reaching I think you're international now, so that's what that's what's up, you know. <laughs> you know, you're you're crossing the the seas, you know. So crossing the pond, right? Yes. I definitely Thank you on so much. Keep up, keep up, keep up the good work, and continue to kind of shed shed some light on that. You know, you know, people who's going through this, they don't have to go through it alone, yeah. unless you want to, unless you want to, right? But you don't, you definitely don't have to go through it alone because others have definitely been. There's others who you know gone through the same journey or similar. So. Yes, and definitely your story, you know, encourages, I know I can speak for myself, encourages us, encourages others to keep pushing, you know, forward. Um, and I really, really appreciate your, both of you, your transparency um, and just being so open with us and sharing your journey. Do you want to say anything, Woody? No, I just appreciate them. Um, thank you for being our first couple. On yes. The um, thank you. For, I, knew, I knew it was the first something, you know. I didn't, didn't want to say. Uh, yeah, first couple. First couple. First, both of us interviewing. Yes, this is the um, first time we that we're reviewing yes. someone else together. Um, thank you for opening up, sharing your story, and um, giving some light. Because believe it or not, you are giving hope to those who are in the midst of the journey to keep pushing um, forward, keep praying, and staying steadfast on this journey. Awesome. Thank you. And thank you to the listeners for tuning in to this episode of the Infertility Podcast. Ciao. Later. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Infertility Podcast. Be sure to connect with me via social media. You can find me on Instagram at I am Danielle Joseph or on Facebook, Master Mentor and Minister, or you can visit my website which is www.iamdaniellejoseph.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.